1: Hello, this is the Red Box podcast. I'm Matt Shirley. Coming up on today's episode, Liz Truss. Remember her? Well, there's a new book out about her extraordinary rise and extraordinary fall The authors Harry Cole and James Hill take us through the five disgraces of Liz Truss. It's a brilliant chat. They're a lot of fun. There's loads of colour and intrigue and gossip about uh, Liz Truss, uh, including whether or not she might stage a comeback. So that's coming up in just a moment. We've also got uh, the columnist panel uh, two. No Finkelvich today. Danny Finkstein's off. So Trevor Phillips was joined by David Iwanovich. Uh, loads of you still posting comments on uh, and reviewing the pod which is lovely. Emily says, I've been listening for the last four years. This podcast is a must-listen for those in UK politics. I'm a big fan of Matt and the team. They always had the freshest news and drama in Westminster and a good grip on the politics of the four nations of our country. Well, we definitely had the freshest news today when we had to interrupt the Times radio show for some breaking news. Right, let's return to our breaking news this morning. A prominent politician is going into the I'm a Celebrity jungle. Who do you think... ...is sufficiently enthusiastic about seeking the limelight and attention? Yeah, it's Matt Hancock. Of course it is. It's Matt Hancock. Uh, (laughs) At The Sun reporting, Matt Hancock, the former health secretary, is to sign up for I'm a Celebrity. He'll become the 12th star to go into the jungle. Uh, this Sunday it's all happening. Apparently 10 celebrities will go in this Sunday when the new series starts and Matt will be one of the two latecomers alongside the comedian Sean Walsh, a TV insider telling The Sun, Matt is a sensational signing for the show as producers love a star with a story to tell and they'll always hope that he'll spill the beans around the campfire. Uh, There's been a question mark over who the 12th campmate would be, partly because because negotiations of Matt going in were so top secret. It seems Matt was a last-minute signing. So there we are. He's got his book out as well. It's all happening in the world of Matt Hancock. Uh, Well, fingers crossed he'll keep his hands to himself in the jungle. Uh, Of course, he's not the first. He's not the first... I mean, based on what we know, he's probably put worse things in his mouth already. So, but based on... Uh, he's not the first politician to go into the jungle. <laughs> uh, Stanley Johnson's done it. Lembert Oberg has done it. And, of course, our, our, our other much-loved friend of the show, Nadine Doris, has done it. And uh, ahead of the last series of I'm a Celebrity, we spoke to lots of politicians who'd done uh, reality TV shows, including Nadine Doris. And this is what she told us then with her advice on going into the jungle.
2: I'm a Celebrity it was an amazing experience. Would I do it again? Um, No, I don't think so, but that doesn't detract from what a unique and uh, entirely novel experience it was. What were the worst and the best bits? Well, there were two worst bits. So um, I, I did get the Chief Whip's permission to go, absolutely. Parliament was on recess and I didn't miss any government votes. So uh, the fact that it was presented via um, a different lens and that I'd gone AWOL from Westminster was a bit awful. But, you know, I'm a politician. I'm used to that. That's just kind of like how it is when you're in politics. The second worst bit bit was when I was buried underground in a coffin. The lid was screwed down and 35,000 bugs came down to shoot to join me. The bugs weren't the problem. The problem was the drill drilling the coffin lid on and then the person doing the drilling, hearing his footsteps walk away on the land over my head. That moment of claustrophobia was pretty difficult. But I did, she says, whispering, managed to do it for longer than Helen Fanigan. So we died, I don't think since we did that trial, actually they've done it again on I'm a Celebrity. So that they were the worst bits, but the good bits were just everything else the bonding and even the starving because you know they really don't feed you I think for maybe four days we had like 25 beans in the palm of our hand each day each and that was pretty tough and I know some people think oh it's just all television you know and it's kind of like it's it's presented to make good tv it kind of isn't you really do starve and the group of us the team of us together going through that unique, starving deprivation. It kind of does something, it forges your friendship in a way that probably accelerates it by like, I don't know, 10 years or something. The whole thing was fantastic. Does it affect your life as an, would it affect your job prospects as an MP if you did reality TV? Well, I think you'd have to pick your moments. You'd have to kind of probably announce that you were going to do it these days or make sure it got leaked so you know all the all the outrage which you know the social media and the airwaves are full of today would be kind of like over and done with maybe before i mean that's probably a a wish but that you know some of it was done in a more controlled way mine was completely a shock to everybody and that kind of added to it i suppose and um, well you know so so it was what nine ten years ago now You're still asking me about it and I'm now the Secretary of State for the Department of Digital, Culture, Media and Sport. So does it, you know, impact on your career? Well, I think I'm probably testament to the fact that the answer to that question is probably no. Uh,
1: That was Nadine Dois speaking to us, I think, last year uh, when uh, we did a thing on uh, (laughs) reality TV, when she was, in fact, the culture secretary. It's of course not. Now, there's the news that you're just waking up to. Uh, Matt Hancock is going into the I'm a Celebrity jungle. It's happening in Australia again for the first time uh, wow. since the pandemic. Uh,
3: uh, somebody, uh,
1: uh, M Holdens uh, tweeted, it's obvious Matt Hancock, we voted out first. Why is he doing this to himself? The Columnists on Times Radio. Yes, uh, n- normally it's Finkelpitch, but no Finkel today. But we have got David Aronovich. Morning, David. Good morning.
4: I love the way you blame Matt Hancock for the fact that you chose to spend so much time on it. Quite, I mean, quite rightly for the entertainment, etc. But you just blamed him for coming to us ridiculously late, so you won't hear mine and Trevor's incredibly important views about everything. You just had to hear <laughs> them about a couple
1: of I things. I think the nation needs to know about Matt Hancock going into the Army Celebrity Jungle. You must have been offered a jungle or something like that before, David.
4: Absolutely not, but I, th- I bet Trevor has been. No, I've been offered no such thing. I don't even make it to that level of celebrity. <laughs> I kind of... Uh, and, and I think also it may just be that people don't think that people would enjoy inflicting punishment upon somebody like me. There's something kind of rather creepy about <laughs> where,
5: well, let's whereas they, that
4: Whereas they absolutely know in choosing Matt Hancock that everybody yeah. wants him to suffer. Yeah. I mean, and that's the reason for that's watching. That's why they've it's the got and everybody else. Would yeah. it's quite extraordinary. It's it's the ultimate masochism strategy.
1: So let's introduce Trevor. Trevor Phillips is here uh, playing the role of Daddy Finkelstein. Good morning, Trevor.
4: Good morning, Matt. Uh,
5: da- da- David, th- this whole idea that uh, people wouldn't enjoy um, inflicting punishment on on you <laughs> or indeed me uh, suggests that you haven't been reading the comment underneath your column, frankly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Did Trevor's left?
5: <laughs> I mean, I, 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 know, I, I can name the ones who would absolutely stuff me in a coffin today if they had the opportunity. And fill it with
1: bugs, and fill it with bugs. Well, we'll see. We'll see, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens with uh, with Matt Hancock. Let's turn our attention to the news then, David, so we can get your views on these things. Um, uh, we should talk about um, Swella Braverman, her use of the word invasion, which to describe as many as a thousand people crossing the channel, uh, her, her, her cranking up the rhetoric while not necessarily doing anything to tackle the problem. I wanted to read something to you it has been sent by a listener called Warren, mainly because he said, I know you won't read this out, so that's always a good reason to read it out. He says, why are you so keen to seize on anything you can to try and force out elected people? You and the MSM have managed to force out Boris, Kwarteng, Truss, and now you're all after Bravman. Why? Each time these idiots get booted out, we, the public, inherit even more political chaos, which costs us, the taxpayers, more and more in taxation. When will it end? David, when will it end?
4: Um, yeah, no, Warren's absolutely right. It is our fault, and we should stop doing it. And just imagine, just imagine, and uh, 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 what would happen if we did stop doing it? And we just stopped. We, we sort of wouldn't, we didn't, didn't even kind of write about it. We, we, you know, when people got cross with the prime minister, the prime minister did something dreadful. We didn't write about it. We didn't say anything about it, etc. We just, I, we, we just put uh, only on the front page what was happening. And I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here. And maybe some kind of local news. So I think, you know, so Warren's obviously got a point. We de- definitely contribute to the chaos in the country. And we, uh, uh, and um, uh. Uh, it, and it's, it's it's called accountability, and it's called democracy, and so on. And if you don't want it, you can go to China. They don't do that in China. They absolutely, <laughs> the Chinese press do not do this, Warren. Uh, they, you know, they're incredibly good. They never try and force out Mister uh, Mister Xi. They never criticise uh, Mister Xi. Um, it is forbidden, and, and maybe that would be a better situation. Uh, we would have a lot more stability. It's very very stable politically in China. Um, Trevor, let's focus on... (laughs)
1: It's
4: a good point, uh,
1: David. uh, Let's focus on uh, Smele Barthamad and what she was saying yesterday. Is she right to use language like we are facing an invasion on the South Coast?
5: Uh, Well, I'm always cautious about getting into whether people are right to use this word or that word. Having been pretty thoroughly cancelled myself for using what I think is the English language I think people can get uh het up uh over you know words that they 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 don't like I mean politics is not literary criticism and uh, frankly if you wanted to get after Suella Braverman I could probably bring you six reasons uh why she should not be home secretary today I mean for example just to name two she doesn't appear to have any plan whatsoever for dealing with what most of the employers that I deal with, my firm deals with, uh, see as an absolutely crushing uh, shortage in the labour market. Uh, secondly, you know, she has been at the Home Office, doesn't appear to have much plan to shake up that department, a lot of words, but not much plan to do that. Um, and if you really wanted to get after Suella Bravman, Braverman, surely that would be the sort of territory that, uh, we should get into rather than whether she used this word or that word i mean i personally i think uh, the Labour party has making a mistake in pursuing her for example over the issue of hotels i was watching it yesterday and i did a program live program last night for sky and actually what most of the people we have a you know big board of 80 people who frankly are pretty much of a cross-section of the country. And what most of them were saying is, we're spending that amount on hotels? I mean, she was winning on it.
1: But I suppose the point is, and a lot of this is because it's quite complicated, the reason we're spending that amount on hotels is because the system isn't working to process people to either grant them asylum, if they've got a right to stay here, or, or remove them if they haven't. And I suppose that's the thing, yeah. isn't it? That The sort of been focusing on, well, I'm not going to spend any more money on hotels because that's what the public wants, is completely ignoring the broader problem of uh, the fact the system isn't working for assessing and then dealing with people who are here both legally and illegally.
5: Yeah, but the thing is, my point is, Matt, we're being sucked into a, a conversation about whether she is nice or nasty, whether she's good or not good, rather than dealing with... Exactly the point you've just raised. And there is a very specific point, which I'm quite surprised hasn't really started being um, uh, articulated, which is if you look at the numbers crossing the channel, there's a really dramatic jump between 2020 and 2021, from under 9,000 to over 29,000. What happened on the 1st of January 2021? Well, there's one specific thing that happened. We because Brexit, left the Dublin Convention, which means that we cannot quickly return people who come from, let's say, France or Belgium or Germany across the Channel in the way that we used to be able to because they would have been fingerprinted there and so on. And that's actually the single substantial cause of the uh, increase or the speed of increase, which is what is really causing the problems. It's not because somebody doesn't, you know, like... uh, Migrants. It is because our system could not cope with uh, an increase uh, in numbers of that speed, and I'm really surprised nobody's actually. I'm mean, to back the actual cause. I suppose uh, the other
1: thing that did happen between 2020 and 2021 is that both France and the UK came out of quite stringent um, uh, lockdown restrictions, which may have also had a uh, part as well. David, on the on the the um, specifics of. Uh, Swella Brahman. and I was interested I spoke to uh, Tim um, uh, Kirkhope earlier, who was a former in- immigration minister in the 1990s and he was sort of, he was hinting at making the point that there's, there is a danger here for, for Srella Bravman. She cranks up the rhetoric she talks about the invasion, she talks about uh, how uh, she won't spe- you know, she wants to crack down on woke nonsense and uh, I think she was raised in the House of Commons yesterday, somebody talked about the the uh, appalling conditions in the common, in the these centres and she said these people should be grateful that they've got anywhere at all Um, there is a danger here that they crank up the rhetoric to such an extent and crank up the public anger, which Trevor was talking about, while failing to do anything about it.
4: Well, our model for doing things about it, I mean, from the government's point of view, strikes me as being wrong. I mean, just so that we know... Um, the 2021, which was a sure, did show a significant increase, is still just over half the peak level of assignment claimants into this country, which was 2002. So, one of the questions which doesn't seem to be getting asked is what did we do in the period after 2002 when we had that peak yeah. that we aren't doing now? Um, uh, and then the other question, which we never ask, is what are other countries who take significantly greater numbers of uh, assignment claims doing when they're processing theirs, uh, their uh, claims, and there anything that we could learn from the process of doing it that would make it easier for us? We don't actually take that many refugees compared compared to uh, compared to uh, some other European countries, um, uh, big European countries, and we should actually be able to handle this. We should have the organisation the Capacity to be able to do it, and yet we have decided to uh, create a system because we are so worried about encouraging people to come. In, it seems to me um, uh, that we have like, fallen down on the process, and the process is incredibly important. And that's what ends up ends you up with things like Manston. We have got to. I, I mean, I, I, almost everywhere I look, really, um, uh, uh, and almost every kind of big question you examine. What you discover is that the problem in this country is planning for what's coming. Uh, and being able to do and to deal with it in a kind of really kind of enlightened way before the actual problem peaks and you hit it. And it doesn't matter whether it's asylum or pandemic planning and so on. We become incredibly bad, it seems to me, at long-term planning for eventualities. And then when the SHIT hits the fan, um, the politicians run around blaming just about everybody else for it. So Stuella Braverman blames the Labour Party for it, 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 it rather kind of improbably other people blame the French the French I mean somebody uh tweeted me yesterday it was very in all seriousness uh, if the French were serious about helping us they'd ban all dinghy sales for six months so I just said, said back to him, <laughs> okay can you can you tell me how this could you just outline for me the speech you think the French minister should give to the French people outlining that policy and he says well you're the clever why do you do it and I thought <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I understand
1: it's an Interesting point. Um, uh, Paul's just um, a message in uh, Trevor saying the reason the migrant seems in such a mess is because of France and its racism. That's why people basically suggest that why the reason that, that people, particularly from North Africa, presumably, are coming to Britain rather than France is because they might be treated better than they are in France.
4: Do you think there's, they, that uh, that plays any part? The North Africans aren't coming here. I mean, this person is just straightforwardly wrong. Sorry, Trevor, your you're call. Cool. Uh, no, well.
5: I, I think the way that the, the, the person whose emails put it is a bit sort of reading the wrong newspapers. Uh, there is a point which is that Britain is attractive uh, to migrants. Other, other than the United States, it is the most desired destination yeah. for migrants internationally, and that's partly to do with our language, It's partly to do, frankly, with our reputation for stability and rule of law. Trevor
1: Phillips and David Ivanovic there, and of course you can read them both in the Times every week. Just get yourself a subscription. Go to the Times.co.uk forward slash Times Box. Up next is the five disgraces of Liz Truss.
5: Ready to pop the question?
0: This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk.
1: You're listening to the Redbox Podcast now. It's time for this.
0: The Big Thing on Times
1: Radio. Yeah, Okay. Remember this? A book is being written about the Prime Minister's time in office. (laughs) Apparently it's going to be out by Christmas.
4: Is that the release date or the title?
1: (laughs) Yeah, Keir Starmer making a rare joke there. Well, the title is actually out of the blue and it is out early after its subject Liz Truss found herself out of office uh, the next day after Keir Starmer's joke. Uh, Yes, uh, she quickly entered the... Pub Quiz History Books is the UK's shortest serving Prime Minister at just forty-five days in office. But what a forty-five days they were. They came at the end of a political career which saw a go from teenage Lib Dem to cabinet survivor. Lots of international travel, lots of social media posts, and it turns out quite a lot of Sauvignon Blanc along the way. We know a lot of that thanks to the authors of Out of the Blue, the inside story of the unexpected rise and rapid fall of Liz Truss. They are the son's Harry Cole and the spectator's James Hill, and they both join me now. Morning, gents. Good morning. So first of all, um, this was originally meant to be the account of her rise as she began a long period in office. At what point did it become clear that this was going to be a rather more complete account of her premiership, Howie? I
3: reckon about Saturday morning after the mini-budget. So what was that, the 19th, 20th of September? Yeah, the week before party conference. Um, The week before party conference, when the pound started tanking. uh, And usually, I think well, there's a great quote in the Sunday Times that week, which was, only the mad people like this. Uh, which I think suddenly Suddenly started. thought,
1: hang on, we might be in trouble. In the wrong people are class. So James, him. when did you when did you start writing it, and when did you stop writing it? We started twentieth of August, I yeah. believe.
6: Um, so when it was clear at that point, she was going to win. Yeah, like fortnight left the race when it was basically all over. Yeah. And we would then plan to stop it on the conference speech, you know, her address to the nation, first chance to really make an impression with voters. Um, I think at that point we realised the radical mission of Liz Truss was over at that point. It was clearly, but she might hang on, you know, she might do a May, she might hang on for a number of more months. Um, But, you know, clearly after that, developments overtook us and we ended it just as she left on that Monday last week.
1: So what we thought we'd do is uh, do the best bits of the book, basically. The Pretty good, the the, uh, the juiciest tidbits, the most salacious gossip. <laughs> you have to buy it. Uh, yeah. We're going to tell the story of Liz Truss's rise and fall through five disgraces, because uh, that's certainly what. Uh, because of this, basically,
7: that is a disgrace.
1: So they all have to qualify for that. So this is the first Liz Truss disgrace. We go all the way back. This is from Sky News back in two thousand nine. After a summer of
3: scandal over MPs expenses, another row has broken out in the Conservative Party, this time over standards of sexual behaviour. Norfolk South West constituency party is threatening to deselect their candidate Elizabeth Trust because she didn't tell them she had an affair with a married man five years ago. David Cameron says she's an excellent candidate, saying her affair with the MP Mark Field had been in the public domain when she was selected.
1: God, that takes me back. So, this is Liz Truss nearly facing deselection after it was revealed she'd had an affair with the Tory MP Mark Field back in 2005, James.
6: Yes, um, and what was quite remarkable was that this is, you know, 2009. But reading it, something from, you know, the the 90s or something like that, back to basics era. Basically, you know, Liz Truss had this affair, very well publicised in 2006, uh, and then she went for the selection three years later. Now, you know, she said that it was all out there on the internet, quite fairly. Um, unfortunately, no one at the selection meeting thought to Google her. This was, I think, one of the first <laughs> things to come up mail online. Um, and it was, some of the quotes just gold from this. And there
3: was It, a, it does read from, like, a different age.
6: So Jeremy yeah. Bagg just saying, you know, like, no one in Norfolk has uh, Googled, you know. Um. <laughs> Ironically, she was selected on a pledge to improve rural Broadband, which uh,
3: <laughs> might have helped them. It uh, sort of made her name, though, in a way, because, because she it became the, the Turnit Taliban, the Turnit Taliban. Yeah, which, um, I, if you have to read the book to, to discover who actually made that up, okay? Because um, uh, yes, that was one of the more controversial words, uh, sort of things it, it pitched the Turnit Taliban against the Notting Hill set, the Tory modernisers, the Cameroons and she became almost a sort of canary in the coal mine of of Cameron and Osborne. Were determined that part of their modernisation project is was that they were not going to let this association basically on the grounds. Of what they saw as sexist um there was no cause to deselect mark field um derail their their plan their their plan for the a-list and so when she kind of arrived in westminster she was already this celebrity There was definitely a famous b- for she was one of
1: those sort of you know whenever there's an election and there's sort of an influx there's always sort of buzz around some yeah. of them yeah. actually in a way there was a bit with rishi out later when he replaced mm. william Hague, absolutely not just because he was you know replacing a high-profile person but sort of MPs come in already with a bit of buzz it around. It was
3: quite. It was quite a big intake as well because obviously MP's expenses meant there was a huge clear out of sort of of crooks and dead wood from uh, from both sides of the house um, over it, into the 2010 election. So actually, there was a sort of very very competitive young intake. And if you think about who they are, they're Sajid Javid, Matt Hancock, Nikki Morgan, Nadim Zahawi, Amber Rudd, yeah, uh, and she basically outlasted all of them. Yeah, she was the only one that got all the way. To the top of that generation, yeah, and because given that what we now know about her
1: politics, mm. that, you know, in what she set out, it's so far actually from Cameron and Osborne's politics. Why did they align herself with her? it? And mean, she was always she was constantly being tipped. I mm. remember in particular by the Daily Mail for every time a reshuffle came out, she was definitely on the list of promotions.
3: I think she was she started out as a modernizer. She definitely was. She was involved in Portillo's Paul T- Paul campaign. We discovered uh, a disastrous leadership campaign. I think the Tory Party kind of came to her. And very much Cameron was a was modernised that. But then she very very quickly became an Osborne Knight. She's been very, very good at shapeshifting mm-hmm. and actually aligning herself mirac- miraculously to whoever's on the... Ascendancy. You can see why she didn't stick around the Lib Dems because obviously they were going going nowhere at that time. Then she was a Cameroon. Then she was an Osborne Knight, and then she was a Remainer when that looked like they were going to win. And then she did the, became the Brexiteer. and Then she became a Borisista. Yeah. Are we call them that, <laughs> barista. <laughs> um, and then she, yeah, you know, then she was sort of standing there, the last one standing. And suddenly it was Trussonomics, and and we saw her. I suppose went.
1: it's a sign, James, of how the Tory party has changed. Did the membership voted for her? actually in a way that maybe if it had happened back in 2009, they might not have done. That actually having had an affair might have been a bigger issue. Uh,
6: Yeah, completely. And I think also she's very much a modern metropolitan woman, as we sort of detail in the book. You know, she loves her espresso. She's very modern thinking. She she welcomes change in a way. She's very unconservative in some ways. And perhaps it was that radical streak and that desire to be seen as radical, which perhaps led to some of her undoing. But yeah, not a traditional Tory in lots of ways, but I think she was ambitious. She wanted to get on. And I think in a sort of post-Thatcher, post-Cameron way, she represented a lot of the modern Tory party.
1: Someone just texted me and said, I totally missed the Liz Truss affair. How could she? Hugh was out of her league to begin with. Now, I don't feel so bad that she was ousted. Hugh, obviously, being her husband. Yes,
3: an interesting guy. Obviously, he kept very much the Dennis Thatcher mold of of, of present, but not involved. Um, I don't think that was the exact Dennis Thatcher quote. Um, but clearly, the. I mean, we
1: don't know. We never yeah. got to the stage that's of his Hugh yeah. uh, well, having too much influence
3: on policy. No, well, we never quite got to that row. We don't know what he thought about wallpaper, but uh, he. Um, <laughs> he um, he is, we have ascertained pretty right wing. Yeah,
6: <laughs> um, we, we found some of his, uh, his university days and there was a great one, like, like snippet from the book is the fact that his, uh, older uh, sparring partner at university was Martin Lewis, the money saving expert. Who was the head of
3: the socialist club when wow. he was head of the Tory uh, club and they were, battled against each other for places Maybe on we the, should get them both on. NUS delegation <laughs> reunion. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, love, I think that was being one of the papers on Saturday. <laughs> Never mind, that's, that's gone. <laughs> what I also love is that, you know, Hugh, I
6: mean, Hugh Larry was just at the bar at Tory conference just standing there picking up gossip but, you yeah, know, yeah. completely, you know, completely under the radar and I think he's someone who's always been there as a support for her and I think that's quite important as a very supportive political spouse um, in her rise to power. And stood by her. So that's, uh, that was number one then. That's uh, uh, number one
1: disgrace. Liz Truss's affair.
7: That is a disgrace. Grace. So
1: we go on to number two now. In her first ministerial job in 2012, Liz Truss fired up the Department of Education to the junior minister under Michael Gove with a major plan to deregulate childcare. But it didn't go very well. Here's a clip from an ITV news report from the time.
2: Nick Clegg hasn't just nibbled the ankles of his Conservative colleagues, he's completely obliterated them and their plans to allow nurseries and childminders to increase the numbers of children they look after. This unilateral move by Nick Clegg is both unusual and unorthodox. He has, in effect, blocked plans by the Conservative Children's Minister, Liz Truss.
1: So, Harry, explain what it was that Liz Truss wanted to do with childcare and why, because we touched on this briefly the other day Mm. when you were on, you think that the the signs of why she might not have worked out brilliantly as Prime Minister, all of the pattern was established quite early on and the way she operated.
3: Yeah, I mean, she almost sort of got indoctrinated and sort of radicalised by uh, the sort of Gove outfit that were there at the time. There's a great line. They're self-proclaimed flyers of the Jolly Roger. They were the, the, the pirates... Of Whitehall, and if you remember back to that time of education reforms, you know Cummings was in in his yeah. pomp uh, when um, Gove was, you know, the sort of, really they were pushing seriously radical stuff, and they thought the way they would got to do it is go in like a bulldozer quickly, you know, with very little, you know, with very little care or consider for the so called blob to of bringing. You could either bring people with you, or you could get stuff done. And I think Trust saw that how that was done. Uh, I thought, well, I'll have a bit of that. So I came in in 2012. And that uh, didn't really, and stop me if you've heard this one before again, do much pitch rolling, <laughs> um, get, you know, bring people in, you know, do consultations, feedback. It was all very, very rushed. There was a speech, a consultation. The consultation came back and said, this is a terrible idea. The childcare sector doesn't want it. She wanted to increase the number of the number of kids that childminders could look after. And still, to this day, remains a heavily regulated industry in a way that it's not in, in, in places like France. Um, so she sort of came in, threw the desk up in the air, and said, let's do this, it's great. And everyone went, ugh. And then the sort of Mumsnet lobby, the Lib Dems, Labour... Everyone just sort of slowly sort of cranked up cranked up, and cranked up and cranked up. And eventually went, you know what, this is too much hard work. I will ditch it. Um, and so, yeah, I, I do think there's uh, the signs. Well, I keep saying this. Yeah. The, the signs were there. That was a very clear one. And it's actually quite funny. You get into the sort of human hand grenade angle of uh, of sort of Cummings and, the, and Gove. And it's where have very strange relationship with Gove began in that he was almost quite Petrarchan to her to begin with, quite Donish. He would, he would push her, promote her, stress test her. But he was always slightly just overshadowing her. And that's played out throughout her career as well.
1: There was this weird thing, James, as well, then, with Michael Gove, where they sort of ended up in the same department. Yeah. You know, she was Justice Secretary, he was Justice Secretary. He, but she was Environment Secretary, famously talking
6: about cheese. Mm-hmm. He was then late, later there. Um Uh, And then, of course, didn't give him a job. Yes, there's a sort of decade-long dance across all the Whitehall ministries, and uh, we see that I think probably most best articulated in uh, when she was trade secretary, and you know he was obviously standing on one side of the Brexit debate about um, you know standards and standing up for what he thought was like you know British standards of a premium, etc. And she was arguing for the free trade angle, so it was dubbed in the press as the uh, Little versus Waitrose, you know, (laughs) Little free marketeers versus the Waitrose protectionists, Um, and all this kind of stuff. And I think that basically they are two of the most successful politicians of their generation. Um, Each of them sort of slightly wary but respected each other um and they both I, have a
3: tendency for mischief making as well yes which put together they quite like they quite like it when one of the others up on the up and the other one's down uh, and actually and it's that whole work, thing, there's, only, there's only room together. for one attention seeker if they, if if room, they ever yeah. worked together they you know they could have they could have been unstoppable
1: <laughs> well that was uh, number two then Liz Truss's uh, childcare reforms
7: that is a disgrace.
1: Right, we'll continue. We've got three more of these uh, to get through. I've got Harry Cole and James Hill, the authors of a new book about this trust called Out of the Blue. It's Matt Jolly on Times Radio uh, are still all coming to terms with the news that Matt Hancock is going to the Armour Celebrity Jungle. He's had the wit withdrawn. Uh, by uh, the Tory Party for going on a jolly uh, while the House of Commons is sitting, uh, we'll discuss that more later in the show. Uh, now, though, uh, we are t- uh, walking our way through the life story of Liz Truss through five disgraces. I'm joined by Harry Cole and James Hill, authors of Out of the Blue, the, bi- the new biography of Liz Truss, which is out on ebook today. Uh, right, we've got to uh, we've got to number three now, uh, the third disgrace in 2016. Liz Truss backed Remain in the EU referendum. Here she is speaking in the run up to the vote.
8: So I think we've got to be very careful about taking that single market for granted and being outside that single market. And the single market isn't something that is a sexy, exciting thing to explain, but it is really crucial.
1: Someone I just making the case for Remain, James. Mm. Which did she actually believe? Was she really a Remainer who then who tended to be a lever or a lever who pretended to be Remain?
6: If I can slightly sidestep the question, I just don't think Europe was that important to her ideology ever. There was a great, there was a cabinet meeting in which she said, you know, there's a crunch cabinet meeting in February 2016. And she goes around and she says, look, we've got so many important things to do in Britain. Um, you know, we want to ta- change tax and regulation, etc. Europe is not the cause or solution to our problems. She said to one friend, I think at the time, that it wasn't in the top 20 problems facing yeah. the country. So really quite apathetic. It's never really featured in her writings as a backbencher as it did. Other, maybe people of her generation yeah. are very motivated by it and so i think she was a pragmatic remainer went along with it yeah i think she form. thought
3: remains gonna win why would i uh, pee off so to speak the the prime minister and risk my job when you know the remains gonna win anyway and i think she said to i think michael goes on the record in the book saying that well, i hope he is anyway um during a meeting during a meeting um during a meeting he um, he said uh liz Truss said to him michael there's nothing that I would ever want to do or achieve that we couldn't do within the EU. That's my distrust impression. It's very life. good. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. But it, <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's of no
1: great use anymore. No. <laughs> You're no. not going to get a lot of work from doing that. <laughs> it's interesting that... So, and so I suppose then then us having left the EU, it was that she embraced it saying that maybe there were now some things that she could do... Yeah, again, this is ...that it was pragmatism. about the, the thing that she
3: wanted to do. It wasn't about Brexit. I think she was quite pleasantly surprised by the fact that the country... Um, did vote leave, yeah. and I think she thought, oh, hold on, hang on, maybe there is a bigger constituency for my slightly sort of more radical views yeah. on the sort of Singapore on Thames mm. side of things, the deregulation stuff. She thought she saw it as an advantage and yeah. thought, right, country's made up their mind. Let's 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 show them what it could be like. So there we are. That's
1: uh, disgrace number three. Liz Truss going from Remainer to Leaver.
7: That is a disgrace.
1: Although, actually, in reality, we've agreed that she probably neither. Right, let's move on to number four, Then, <laughs> This is one of my favourite, Liz, just disgraces. Her use of social media. Here is a clip from a video she posted on her Instagram in May 2019, ahead of the spending review, when she was Chief Secretary to the Treasury.
8: So I first moved from Leeds uh, when I got a job working in the oil industry and I uh, was able to rent a place and then buy a place. And what I worry about now
3: is it is harder for people to do that in London. Well, it sounds like a leadership... It sounds like like we we should have put that in the book, James. (laughs) 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 That's the first time I've ever heard that. Um, uh,
1: (laughs) James, one of the things I really enjoyed in the the, um, serialisation of the Sunday Times was the detailing of her... It was particularly when she was International Trade Secretary. Going around the world, supposedly dealing with you know drumming up trade deals, but she spent almost her entire time, it seems... Trying to get the best photo for Instagram. Yes, and, and well, that's not—that's really not an exaggeration. Uh,
6: there, there were some extraordinary lengths to go to. I think there was also one fantastic line that we report, which is that at one point. Uh, Liz Truss, when she was Foreign Secretary, was having a photo of her uploaded every five hours on the government Flickr account. Yeah, um, of course. So it wasn't just Instagram. She yeah, was multi-platform. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I think, yeah, she saw it as an extraordinary part of her job to be out banging it, uh, the drum for British uh, business, British industry. And in some ways, you can actually tell the story of Liz Truss in microcosm through her Instagram feed, where it starts off with these kind of slightly weird sort of ingenue photos of her in 2017. And then she thinks when she gets chief sec, you know, forget this. I'm not going to stick with party line anymore. And she starts doing more power dressing and then it sort of summarises in, you know, the
3: Foreign Secretary when she's in a tank and all this kind of stuff. You can, there is a case for the defence on it as well, the trade, uh, which is that, you know, at, at the time, you know, the, these negotiations, these incredibly dry, boring trade negotiations were going behind the scenes with, with Australia mm. and Japan. And they were at a really technical level. So actually, what does the Trade Secretary do, public facing, because she can't lift the lid on what she's yeah, actually yeah. doing, which is negotiating stuff. And it was actually quite simple. big. Union Jack, Umbrella, Sydney. Bang. We're doing an Australia (laughs) deal. Big mini parks up in New York. Bang. We're going to try and do a US trade deal. Uh, Go to the famous roundabout of crossing in in Japan. Here's Liz Truss in Japan. Mm. And actually, everyone took the mick and you can see why, but that branding did kind of work. It did really raise her profile. I, I remember the context as well. Obviously, Brexit wasn't going so well for a part of this, but then
6: also the pandemic hit. And so yeah. everyone was at home and doing stuff. And she was out there because she had an exemption, rightly for her travel, uh, all this kind of stuff. And it really helped her. Uh, while it got her into the job. It, it did. Got her, it got
3: her into the foreign secretary job. And once she, went, once she was the foreign secretary, she was, you know, she seemed unstoppable. She set. And I suppose if
1: if the if the talks aren't going very well, if the pictures are good, you can cover up
3: a, a multitude of sins.
1: Yeah, but uh, yeah. there were all moments when went went a baby a bit far when she went to New Zealand. <laughs> uh, yeah, Harry, did, who wants to tell the New Zealand story?
3: It's just it's it's just one of those people, one of those great ones where people just genuinely, you know, it's very very Liz trust, and it just sort of but sort of encapsulates her sort of uh, focused and driven <laughs> desire to. Get things right, but what it was, she was trying to get right was a was a long tweet thread where every single bullet point of the tweet thread was actually a tiny kiwi emoji. <laughs> <laughs> while, while a very senior member of the diplomatic corps was attempting to brief her on the multi million pound trade investment she's trying to do, while so they landing. sat openly in the car, and they sat in the back of the car. Well, the poor uh, the poor official before he, to even read. before they got into the oh, car, yes, there was a long get... delay because she, she was trying was... to find with some good light, good light, good light. Um, also, I think because she left. She landed essentially in Wellington, airport I think it was, and it's quite a bleak place. You could be anywhere in the world, so I think she was trying to prove to the point she was actually in New Zealand. (laughs) Yeah, and ended up doing it in front of the um, in front of a a Land Rover.
1: Somebody's just texting and said, Who was actually looking at Liz Truss's social media? Surely it was just her family, other politicians, and journalists. No one else could be remotely interested.
3: (laughs) I don't know. It, came, it became a bit of a cult following. Our picture desk loved it because she was like, Taylor Swift was on there. And she'd always. Toph word, uh, from Made in Chelsea. Yeah. There was always like.
1: 170,000. And also, crucially, those photos often then ended up in, in the newspaper. papers. Exactly. There was always
3: a surprise mystery guest of a. You know, you come into work the next morning and work out where Liz Truss has been the night before, and it'd be, <laughs> it'd be with Taylor Swift. And you just be like, of course, why not? Uh,
1: so there we are, then. That was, uh, that was uh, number. Which one was that? Number four, four, Liz Truss's use of social media.
7: That is a <laughs> disgrace.
1: So, we move on to uh, the disgrace number five. It's basically the one they did for her. Uh, this was uh, Liz Chuss speaking in Downing Street after her election.
8: I will get Britain working again. I have a bold plan to grow the economy through tax cuts and reform. I will cut taxes to reward hard work and boost business-led growth and investment.
1: A bold plan to grow the economy through tax cuts. How did that go, James? Uh. <laughs>
3: I was going to go with like maybe
8: three out of ten. Yeah.
3: <laughs> Not well. Um, um, it was a bold
6: plan. <laughs> it, it was, was bold. It bold. We'll very very bold. bold. And she said, "We'll give her a point for that." She said she didn't mind being disliked uh, or yeah. being unpopular. She, she got that. She, she, she kept that. her pledge, and she, pledged, yeah. she promised to hit the ground from day one. And she, she did uh, pledge
1: to yeah. hit the ground, ground from day, day one.
6: one. Um, I think. Look, it just it just shows the difficulty of coming in. Two years before the end of the Parliament, with a radical prospectus yeah. and not
3: carrying everyone with you, really, um, and and not taking into account you're also spending sixty billion pounds, or at least minimum, on on a energy you price. know on an energy price cap that while there was political consensus for, that she sort of I think sort of just thought she'd get away with the price tag of it as well. So doing that on top of the, all the te- doing the tax cuts on top of all of that, plus then the death of the monarch, I think she should have just slowed it all down. And I imagine she'll regret that, not slowing it down for the rest of her life. But that's who she is. I and, mean, yeah, as you said, yeah. the clues
6: are all through the book, where she is someone who wants to be seen as radical, very impatient, very keen to get things done,
3: for better or worse, you know, can annoy some people, it's very yeah. Marmite. Tearing around Downing Street saying, I've only got two years, I've only got two years. And it turned out she only had two, two months. months. Two months. If that. Have, yeah. have you, spoke? Cause
1: I know you spoke to her in the early stages of the book when she was going to ride high, have you spoken to her since she left?
3: Uh, no comment. <laughs> 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 look, I, look, um... I have, I have a lot, lot of time for for Liz Truss. I do think she's, you know... I imagine she's not in a... I imagine the, the true reality of what has happened is, is only beginning to dawn on her. Um, so I don't really have a bad word to say about her. Nothing on, personally, On that, really. on that, on that front. No. Um, do you
1: think... I mean, a lot of people talk about... Post, do you think she could come back? But it's not She's as young. She's really young. She's, no, she's the
3: youngest ever former... Well, lived... You know, what was the stat? She's one of the youngest ever... Ex-prime, ex-prime ministers. ministers. Yeah. Uh, who, who's, you know, who lived. Um... So, look, she's going to do something, you know, that that, exp- that inexhaustible energy is, is, yeah. is going to go somewhere. I imagine there's a, you know, there's a big uh, career on the uh, look, on the right wing thing circuit I, I, of, of Washington. To, IDS of her. and Hague came back on the front bench
6: under yeah. successive leaders. There's a scenario perhaps where the Tories lose a lot of seats in the next election. She stays on, Southwest Norfolk, safe seat. They need someone, you know, who's going to be a punchy. She's good and reasonably good in the House of Commons. You can see a kind of scenario. It's very unlikely, but you can see a kind I of... I think she's
3: also got quite a lot of do, work to do to make sure that she doesn't become synonymous with, with failure of tax and, and basically yeah. rebranding yeah, yeah. tax cuts generally. Joe Biden's really interested in the way that he's basically using her as a campaign tool yeah. now during the midterms of, as, a bo- as a bogeyman a story of, of what happens if you cut taxes. And that's, I imagine, a legacy that will particularly hurt.
1: So there we are. That was uh, Liz Truss's uh, fifth disgrace, her, rea- her resignation.
7: That is a disgrace,
1: Gents. I enjoyed that a lot. No, uh, thank what you for having the Single your... best tidbit in the book: that people should keep the an eye. In fact out
3: for? it is available now as,
7: as an e-book.
3: <laughs> um, there's, I can't, you can't, I can't choose. There's some, there's um, yeah, some very funny. Uh, uh, she's very open and candid uh, with, her, you know, people around her. And she almost sort of gives a very amusing running commentary of things that politicians don't normally get. I so think the humour, the self-aware humour, the, the self-aware humour is pretty is pretty funny,
1: and the so swearing actually, some good swearing. It's a good swear, which, which luckily you've avoided doing all the radio. <laughs> so far. Uh, out of the blue, the inside story, the unexpected rise and rapid fall of Liz Truss is published by HarperCollins. The ebook, as how we saying, is out today, uh, and it's out in shops on November the twenty fourth. <laughs> Uh, if you want to want to buy out a in time of for copy. Christmas, out in time for Christmas, as Keir Starmer said, as Thank Keir Starmer said. Uh, any any updates on uh, on Matt Hancock? Um, uh, he's released a very long, very long statement. Has um, he?
3: Which he's going to He's he's come to an agreement with uh, with the fine people of ITV that if there's an urgent constituency matter, they could they can they can tell the producers you know, <laughs> as far as I can tell. And he he will be able to he will be able to you know, deal with the dramatic political thing. But he says now that political stability is back. Yes. He's able to get So it. this is
1: Matt Hancock taking part in I'm a Celebrity. Uh, uh, he's been suspended from the by the uh, Conservative Party uh, for doing it. Andy Drummond, who is Deputy Chairman of West Suffolk Conservative Association, has been speaking to the Press Association. He said, and this is, remember, this is his own local Conservative <laughs> Association, Here we go. said, I'm looking forward to him eating a kangaroo's penis. Quote me, you can quote me on that. <laughs> 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 Maybe Liz Truss could go in the jungle. Maybe that, that, that the part, of the rehabilitation starts enough. now. That's so all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget, you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. And we bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcast from?